0: Service What is up listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Full Service Podcast. I am Tank Smith, your host. Today is episode 77. Thanks for being here. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Full Service Pod. I am at Tank Funkadelic. If you enjoy the show, make sure you are subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We just joined a few new spots, so if you are new to the podcast, ooh boy. Welcome. I appreciate you being here. If you've been rocking with us for a while, perhaps if you've been here since the beginning, yo, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back to another week of the full service podcast. You know, we're here every single Tuesday. So hey, as long as you're here, uh, we will be as well. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you got an iPhone, hit us with a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, write us a review. That would help us out so much for visibility for the show. If you cannot do that, if you can't subscribe, if you can't write a review, if you can't hit us with a five-star rating, yo, tell somebody about the show. Tell somebody you like, tell somebody you don't like, tell somebody you don't know that well. Bond over the old full-service podcast. We're trying to spread the word, make this a global thing, and I cannot do that without the great, amazing people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> If you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash pod where you can hear interviews and episodes you cannot hear anywhere else. I mentioned last week uh I had a Patreon, the uh we had a breakup episode. So good. Fucking listen to it, ooh boy. Patreon.com slash pod. Today, episode 77, so excited. My guest is a Montreal-based elite companion and entrepreneur, Anna Perena. We sat down, I guess, it was probably the end of January, beginning of February. She was in Aruba for a few days. A lot of fun. We uh, we discussed the great city that is Montreal. We discussed her start in... The fetish community in Montreal, working as a pro-dom, studying Tantra, working in companionship, plans for the future, so much. I know you are all going to love this. You can find Anna on Twitter, at Anna underscore Perena, on Instagram, at Anna dot Perena. I have a link to her link tree as well in the show notes. That is linktr.ee slash Anna Perena. A-N-N-A-P-E-R-R-E-N-A. Make sure you hit those show notes. Show her some love. I'm going to stop talking. I'm excited for y'all to hear my conversation today with Anna Perena. Thanks. <music> Welcome back, listeners. It's Tank Smith. I'm so excited for today's episode. My guest is a Montreal-based elite companion and entrepreneur, Anna Perena. Anna, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: You're welcome. It's a pleasure.
0: Heck yeah, super excited. (laughs) Listeners, I am uh, coming to you from Atlanta. Anna, where are you joining us from?
1: Well, right now I'm in Aruba. I'm in the Caribbean, um, but I'm actually from Montreal, so...
0: Oh, hell yeah. Nice. How, uh, how's uh, Aruba this time of year?
1: Well, it's pretty much the same um, all year round. We're right next to the equator. So uh, temperatures are very, very similar in summer and in winter. And uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's so nice to be able to go outside and get some fresh air. Back in Montreal, people are mostly stuck indoors. A lot of people are going out and playing in the snow and skiing and all that. But uh, I kind of hate the cold. I get cold very easily. So it's not really my thing.
0: how uh you uh said you're from montreal how do you how do you like montreal
1: on a normal day i love it well there's two things i love it in the summertime and in the winter time you know uh there are some things that i love about it but like i said earlier i get i get so cold very easily and i'm i'm very affected by the seasonal changes like i I get seasonal depression, but not on an emotional level. Like it's not mental so much as it is physical for me. I get very tired in the winter, like really a lot more tired than I normally am. So I try to travel a lot. I I don't usually stay in winter in Montreal because I'm not optimal. But, you know, when that's not going on, I think it's one of the best cities in the world. So this year it's been very, very quiet because of COVID, but usually we have so many festivals I mean from I want to say like maybe starting in May or May June until like September there are non-stop activities and festivals going on all over the city lots of free stuff lots of shows music festivals art festivals parades and we just have an incredible social life and nightlife and people are very very friendly and very easygoing. I mean, just in Canada in general, we're known for being very friendly, you know? The famous famous quote that if you bump into someone in Canada, they'll apologize to you is definitely true. And so that's happened to me a (laughs) few (laughs) times, you know? But in French, the French part of Canada, there's an extra layer. In Toronto, for example, is a very big business city. Uh, Vancouver is gorgeous, but it's extremely expensive and it has You know, a dark side where there's like an entire area of the the island of Vancouver that has heroin and a lot of drugs and a lot of, you know, disparity, especially with the the new drug fentanyl causing ravages. So both of those cities, I want to say, are a bit more dangerous and also have a dark side, Um, you know, especially one where it's so expensive. Everybody has to work all the time. So there's not much of a social life in terms of people don't even have time for a social life. So Montreal is actually a pretty affordable city to live. The, the, the wages are, are decent, and the, the rent is is still not too high. It's getting higher, obviously, over the years, but it really hasn't gotten anywhere, you know, close to like Toronto, for example.
2: Well, That's good.
1: Yeah. So for a big city, you know, that is one of the benefits because it allows people to just have a normal nine to five job, and then on the evenings and weekends they can go out. So we have a huge um, social life, you know, lots of bars, lots of restaurants, restaurants with food from all over the world. It's a very multicultural, multi-ethnic city. There's an LGBTQ community. You know, there's a fetish community. There's like everything you can think of. There's, you know, hip hop community, dance hall, like every type of culture, urban or, or not is, is there. And so it's really, it's really interesting for that. So you, you can, everybody can find their own in Montreal.
0: I feel like you just sold me on the city. You just sold me on Montreal. I was like if I'm going to Canada, it's either Toronto or Vancouver. I didn't even think about Montreal. Now Montreal's the city to go to. It is.
1: It is. It depends on what you're looking to do, but if you're if you want to party or you want a vacation, it's a great place. You'll find affordable affordable parties everywhere and the people are extremely extremely fun.
0: I know you guys. Uh, the there's a huge like comedy festival just for laughs. I think is in Montreal.
1: Yeah, we have everything. We have comedy festivals. We have theater. We have music festivals. There's so many music things going on, like all summer long. Every Sunday, there's two events that you can go to. One is on the mountain, which is called Tam Tam. Has been going on for 30 years or more, and it's the the largest and the longest running unofficial event in North America. People just show up on the mountain and, and play these African drums and just freestyle and people bring other instruments and freestyle and, and, other people come to dance and other people come to burn and they just sit around and just blaze. And, and there's, you know, you have tightrope walkers and acrobats and, 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 all kinds of circus things going on. And you've got like LARPers that are in the back, like sword fighting and <laughs> people that are hiking the mountain. And, and, and it's just kind of very eclectic. And then you've got uh, Picnic Electronique, which is uh, an event that's official. It's organized. You have bars, and you can pay an amount to go in. And you can get a pass for the whole summer, and you go every Sunday afternoon. And there's, there's a how do you call it? Electric music, or sorry, it's a techno. ED, EDM. There's yeah, techno music every Sunday. Live DJs, bars, and a, like a couple of dance floors, and you can go and spend your whole Sunday afternoon dancing and having drinks with friends.
0: Yeah, Montreal seems like a dope spot. I definitely, I, I, gotta go. I gotta go for sure. Yeah. What uh, what's something you're passionate about? What uh, what do you like to do?
1: I'm very passionate about yoga, uh, so I love to practice yoga, and um, I love to be around people who are yogis or practice yoga. I'm a health person. I'm a foodie also, so I love healthy food. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to learn about food and discover new foods. And I'm really into health. So uh, anything I can do to have an optimal health, I'm kind of a, I want to say an amateur or a baby biohacker. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but basically biohackers are people who try to hack their biology. So I'm into, you know, all this kind of cutting edge, like health and medicine and science and life extension stuff. So whatever I can do to be as healthy and as young as possible for as long as possible.
0: Would you get a microchip that made you live longer? Because I know, like, in the future, like, I feel like humans are going to kind of, like, fuse with rope. Like, technology is going to be more more present in, like, human lives, especially in biology.
1: People are under an illusion that they're not. But we are. Every yeah. single person has a cell phone, you know, at the end of their arm. And, you know, the fact that it's not embedded into our bodies really makes no difference at this point.
0: Have you seen uh, Black Mirror? Have you seen the show Black Mirror?
1: I have not, but I'm, I'm a big science techie person. I'm very, very interested in technology and the future in a lot of aspects, so I know a lot about that stuff, and I'm very open-minded. I'm not too scared of it, to be honest with you. I'm not one of those people that's freaking out. Um, I think that if you aren't educated about a subject, it's easy to fear it, but the more you educate yourself about it, the more it becomes kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, if, like it's like anything. You don't know about it, so you just have these, like, preconceived biases or just, like, ignorance about that subject, and then you learn about it, and you're like, holy, I, this, it changes how you felt about that thing, just learning about it.
1: Yeah, and that's not to say that every single technology uh, I agree with or I like. There are technologies that I don't use in my life. A very easy example is a microwave. So I don't have a microwave. I don't use a microwave because when you when you microwave your food, you're basically nuking it. So you're actually destroying a lot of the nutritional properties and the good stuff that's going into your body just by microwaving it. And I, for example, will, you know, heat everything on the stove with a little bit of water so that it stays at a maximum 100 degrees temperature and that will retain a lot of the nutrients. So easy example like that, right? Uh, Not not every single technology is beneficial for humankind. So, uh, but I'm definitely the kind of person that would become a cyborg. I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of merging with technology. I think I already am merged with my technology. My phone is always on me at every single moment of the day. It's near me when I sleep at night. I have my laptop almost everywhere I go. I mean, I'm constantly connected. So, uh, no, I don't. I don't have any fear about merging with technology. However, uh, I think it's important to use discretion and to. Uh, study and research the new technologies uh, extensively, and 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 be sure that what you're what you're employing is actually safe and is actually going to be harmonious with your biology.
0: That makes sense, because you don't want to do something that you can't take back, or like that something's just gonna like alter your life forever without like really looking into it. You don't want exactly. to do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, another example, you know, I have breast implants, and breast implants twenty, thirty years ago had a lot more problems than they do now you you had the horror stories of women developing breast cancer or having to you know having health problems or rejecting them or whatever i mean you you could still have bad things happen i know one of my friends had hers removed because she had some complications but in general they're very safe nowadays and i, I had mine done Uh, seven years ago, and I have no regrets. And my body has accepted them very, very well. They feel very natural. People don't really notice when they look at me, it kind of looks like part of me. So it really feels like a part of my body at this point. And just that right there, actually, I consider is kind of being part part cyborg already, because that's not natural. That's technology right there. I have technology in my body.
0: That's yeah, I, yeah. Not not many people think of it like that, but yeah, you're 100 percent right. It's just like technology in my body, and it's enhancing my body. Yeah, that's that's dope.
1: They already make you know implants for all kinds of things, right? To replace different things in the body that are not working. You have medical implants. We're we're already doing a lot of this stuff, so it really is. It's more nuanced than people realize.
0: Do you feel like the view being Canadian, you view it any differently than being American? I feel like in the U.S., like we always take, like we look at things to like, how could it be used for bad? Do you feel like being a Canadian, you're more open to things? I don't know if that's just, I don't know if that's a dumb question. I'm just like, being Canadian, do you feel like that view, so your, your view? So does it
1: have anything to do with being Canadian or American or does it have anything to do with being me? I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not a negative type person. So I went to a Tony Robbins uh, concert once, or not concert, but presentation or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I'm very much into, you know, big forward thinkers. So that's me as an individual. That's the kind of mind that I have. Now, when I talk about it around me, you know, I have friends that are very negative and I have friends that are very positive. And over the years, I've kind of moved away from the negative people. I don't really keep them around too much anymore. So surrounding myself with open-minded, positive people. Uh, it's very difficult for me to say whether it is because they are Canadians or not, but I do want to say that in the States, there are very, very types of people. And, you know, depending on what state you're from, you're going to see a different perspective on life as well.
0: That is true. You're hundred percent right about that.
1: So for example, California is a very forward thinking, uh, state. and I, I, and I have actually been there and I really enjoy it and get along with people there very well. So it's and if you go to Toronto and if you go to Vancouver and if you go to Montreal, it's very different how people feel and think And in Calgary. They're all very different, just like in the States. And then it's from individual to individual. You know, you have people who look at life from place of uh, from a negative based, fear based approach. And then you have people who are optimistic and uh, choose to look at life from from the most beneficial point of view and you can actually see how that unfolds and, and, and what kind of success that brings to them in the long run is very interesting to see how that impacts their life
0: yeah i feel like if you you kind of you kind of put out energy into the world and that kind of bounces back i feel like and if you kind of have this if you see things as negative then you're going to get negative i feel like results versus like having a positive outlook I f-
1: yeah because you're going to be skeptical you're going to hesitate you're going to be not trusting you're going to and that's going to impact how you act so how you act will have results definitely yeah whereas if you're someone who chooses to uh trust your instincts trust your gut and give things a chance and and open up to the possibility that things could go well then you're going to take more chances you're going to discover more have more adventures be more open and that doesn't mean not having the power of discretion right you still should be able to trust your gut and not and not just be a fool or blindly optimistic, right? You can be educated and make uh, wise choices, but the fact of doing it with a positive or optimistic perspective will definitely impact your ability to create more positive results. And this isn't even a woo-woo thing. It really is very, very basic psychology and you can observe it in how people behave and what results they get from their behavior.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. You saw, like, there's evidence. Like, I yeah, I I definitely agree for sure.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a me thing. Going back to the question, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I think I'm just one of those kinds of people. I guess
0: it's not a Canada thing. It's an Anna thing. That's <laughs> yeah.
1: There you go.
0: Hell yeah! Well, Anna, I appreciate you coming to the podcast. Fuck yeah! <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. I I appreciate you inviting me. This is a great opportunity.
0: Hell yeah! Glad we could do it. Glad we could do it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you feel like you can remember your first exposure to sex work at all?
1: Yeah. So I want to say, um, I want to say when I was a very young child, I probably saw like a a street hooker, and I like asked my mom what what that was. What was she doing? Or I don't remember. Actually, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think there was like an an instant where I was exposed to to, to street walkers and you know, having a conversation with my mom about it. And having her explain to me from a very, very, very negative perspective, you know, she was very grossed out, actually. You know, for her, it was like, it was like vile.
0: I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, just like based on their life experiences, like no fault of their own. They just have like a negative view of sex work in general.
1: Yeah. And also, uh, I want to say, so my mother... Interestingly enough, she she wanted to scare me a lot because I was a very adventurous kind of outgoing person. And I was always very trusting, but I wasn't so trusting. I mean, from her perspective, I was very trusting. From my perspective, I always trusted my gut, which is kind of different. But because I was a kid and I was always quite advanced and quite intelligent for my age, it was hard for her to make the difference between things. And I kind of knew I did. So she tried to scare me a little bit. Um, she told me stories about girls getting you know, kidnapped and forced into you know, sexual slavery and the, the, the undersides of sex trafficking and all that. So I was exposed to those realities. I want to say a little bit too young. Um, I mean, it, I am who I am today and I love who I am. So I've obviously worked through it in some way. But um, that was kind of traumatic for me, actually. She kind of presented it to me like most sex workers, if not all sex workers, are forced into it for a lot of horrible reasons and poor them. Aren't they just a victim?
0: Yeah. A lot of people that, that narrative is just to use to like kind of scare people. There are definitely fucking victims of sex trafficking and it's terrible thing, but they try to like make consensual sex work into sex trafficking. And that's like a huge push just to like eliminate sex work completely. Almost.
1: I think that, uh, that narrative is used to control the, I want to say the, the, the patriarchy, pushes that narrative a lot to control the potential matriarchy. Now we're going into very deep philosophy here, but I really feel like now I want to say that there are very empowered women out there who are very feminist and who choose to keep their sexuality for themselves, even to the point of being completely celibate. And that is a hundred percent. Okay. An empowered woman can choose to be celibate, She can choose to have a partner. She can choose to have multiple partners. She can be a complete slut. She can be a whore. She could be anything she wants to be, and all of it is okay, as far as I'm concerned, as long as she is able to communicate her desires, her boundaries, her fears, and respect and honor herself and really follow what her heart wants. So, for me, an empowered woman follows her own calling independently of what other people think of what she's doing. So, that's for me, that's the most feminine, the most feminist thing anyone can do. But I do think that an empowered woman is difficult to control, and keeping women based in fear makes them easier to control. So this fear-based narrative around sex work is very convenient. Now, is sex trafficking not a real thing? Absolutely, it is a real thing. And I have a good friend who was trafficked for years. And I know the horrors of it. I do not deny them in any way. And I know also that some sex workers start at a way too young age. I have another friend who started sex work when she was 14 years old. And I see how that was traumatizing for her. So there is a dark side to sex work. But there is a dark side to politics. There is a dark side to um, a lot of different things in life. You know, there's a dark side to almost anything. Anything can be corrupt. It really depends on what angle you're coming at something from. So the fact that we blanket uh, label sex work from a place of fear is because it is convenient and allows us to better control women
0: yeah i mean it's just like even it starts at the whole like women dudes can sleep with a bunch of chicks fine women sleeps with a bunch of dudes terrible thing horrible thing even like just like even that like it's just trying to control not like i'm a dude and be like we're trying to control women's sexuality but it's like it is a thing you know
1: It is a thing and in the best example is in the uh the laws of the extreme islam now um i'm you know, I have very good uh, Muslim friends and there are very different kinds of Muslims in this world. Um, but when you have the, the very extremist Islamic uh, religion, which you see in the UAE, for example, um, you know, their laws literally state that they can have multiple wives. Um, and you've never heard of a, a woman having multiple husbands.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, it's even like Saudi Arabia, like women not being able to drive until like a couple of years. I mean, it's this world the world is fucked up.
1: It's a fucked up out here. But people think it's a modern uh, people think it's an ancient thing going on over there, but it's actually really modern. And that's the scary part. So let me give you a little bit of background. My mother is from Egypt and my father is from Quebec. So um, I'm part Middle Eastern, part French Canadian. Uh, so. I was raised in a Catholic family, and so I kind of, you know, I was always around a lot of Middle Eastern people. I was raised by my mother, so I was raised in the Middle Eastern culture, hearing Arabic around me all the time. I don't I don't speak it, unfortunately. but um, So I have a lot of Muslim friends, and I know a little bit about the history that's going on and what's going on over there, and I kind of have a different perspective on it. So my family left the Middle East because it was being taken over by Islam. If you were to go back to the 1950s, when my mom was born in Cairo, women were very liberated. And, uh, you know, even in the 60s over there, it was the 60s just like it was in America. And you had, uh, you know, people, women were dressed the same way they were dressing in America. They were driving. You had the... All the revolutions that were happening in the 60s in America were happening over there. So it was a very, very liberated place. It was more Christian-based. And slowly it started being taken over by by modern-day Islam. And when you go there and you look and see today, you're going to see women wearing scarves and long long sleeves and long skirts walking around in this very conservative, restrictive garb. So you're really seeing a huge, drastic change towards extreme conservatism, conservatism in the Middle East.
0: You'd think, like, a society gets more liberal as time goes, but uh, a lot of societies are, like, getting back to, like, traditionalism or, yeah, like you said, more conservative uh, values. It's wild. Yeah. How was – straight, <laughs> weird segue – uh, how was getting into sex work? How did you start? What was your, how was your, what was your journey into sex work?
1: Let's see how far I want to go back. So when I was a kid, um, I was always really curious about sexuality. It's always been a big, big part of my imagination and my 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 fantasy realms. I've always wanted to know more about sexuality in general, and uh, was quite fascinated by that aspect of humanity and, and and human life. And I was always a very sexual person. So you know, discovering my body quite young and enjoying myself a lot and being extremely repressed by my culture and my mother and my family made me kind of feel uh yeah like I, I I was a bit of an alien but I was also a bit of an alien in a lot of other aspects so I guess I was kind of used to feeling that way and part of me being able to be myself forced me to sort of yeah accept that alien-like feeling and sort of take on an attitude of, I don't give a fuck and fuck you all for your judgments and your morals and your rules suck anyway. <laughs> <Fuck yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only, I mean, I had to do that for my own mental sanity because I never really fit in anywhere, even in other aspects, you know, at school or uh, wherever it was, I was always kind of a eclectic outsider. So my views on life were so different from everyone else in every aspect that I got used to that that being my reality and and decided to just how can you say it in english um yeah like just take like accept myself and broadcast myself and have this kind of fuck you attitude and just be like whatever it is who i am and so um and that helped me to to survive and work through that because otherwise it would have been way too painful so i really had to do that for my own mental sanity so i very quickly got this kind of attitude of it doesn't matter what the world expects of me. What matters is that I am as happy that I can be, the happiest that I can be in every moment. So from there on, I started discovering my sexuality in my teenage years and always kind of being, yeah, very interested in boys. I don't want to say that I was a slut because I wasn't. I, I really was very selective. But I was a lot more open than other girls around me. I wasn't really worried about this whole idea of you have to act a certain way so people think that you're a good girl. I didn't really give a shit if others thought I was a slut. And a lot of people thought I did just because I was, I really, um, I had a lot of self-acceptance and I I spoke about sexuality openly and easily. And I I love to dress sexy and things like that. But in reality, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, sexual really i was still a virgin or i wasn't really having sex with anyone or or i was just slowly discovering just like everybody else was and uh when i turned 18 i met a guy who was like 41 and, and who was into the fetish community and i've always been curious about that stuff had some fantasies about it and wanted to discover that um so i asked him to bring me to one of his parties and so i went to my first fetish party at 18 years old and um I love that experience. It was so powerful because in that world, people are so open-minded and so respectful and consent is such a huge part of the dynamics. So it was the first time in my life that I felt like I could be somewhere, be as sexual as I want to be, dress as slutty or not slutty as I want to dress, and that people around me would respect my space, honor my space, treat me with kindness and you know, honor my boundaries and ask for permission to talk to me or to touch me, which is quite common in fetish events.
0: Do you feel like going to that fetish event kind of like opened up your eyes to, I guess, sexuality even more?
1: Well, for sure. So that was the beginning of a journey for me, um, because like I said, those were my experiences being younger. So being in a space where that was the energy and that was the attitude was the most healing thing I can ever experience at that point. It really opened my eyes to the fact that there were safe spaces in this world where I could be myself, express myself, and be honored and and experience all the things that I wanted to experience in a healthy, consensual way, um, and that there were a lot of other people doing that. And so I was able to explore uh, so many things, and I stayed in the fetish scene for many, 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 many years afterwards. And so my journey actually truly started there. After that, I was hooked. I was going to parties all the time, trying to convince my friends to go with me, uh, got some friends to go. And then finally, at the age of 20, made a boyfriend who was down to discover this this world with me. So we started just going to every single party. There was a party every two weeks and we were going out all the time. And um, that's where I started to really get to know other uh, sex workers because there's a lot of sex workers in the fetish scene and especially fetish workers. So Met some some other dominatrixes, including uh, my mentor.
0: Hell yeah! How was going from being part of the fetish scene to saying, "Hey, I kind of want to get into sex work"? What did that What did that kind of look like?
1: So, um, in my early twenties, I no, actually, yeah, in my late teens, early twenties, I was in school, um, and I was in university, or I was in the college, getting ready for university because we have in Quebec a college that is between high school and university. Okay. So, uh, I was doing that, and I, I I had some health issues. I've had health issues from a young age, and I kind of got sick and i I didn't have the energy to continue school, so I had to drop out. I ended up working in a bank for a while, and I fucking hated it <laughs> <laughs> no i'm I'm very interested in finance. I just don't like working in a bank. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. it's Those are two different things. Yeah, Being a I, a, yeah.
1: exactly. So, yes, yeah, so I was working there for a year and a half, feeling like that place was sucking the soul out of me. And um, I was really good friends with this incredible dominatrix in Montreal called uh, Contessa Allura and she is the one who approached me actually so i was i was going out to these places for my own fun and pleasure and having some slaves at party walking up to me asking if they could you know massage my feet or or serve me in whatever way and sometimes i would say yes just cuz i had like sore feet or it sounded like fun i, I didn't particularly feel dominant uh, i i preferred to be either kinky or sub in my intimacy with the right partner sometimes or just explore but i wasn't I didn't consider myself a real dom at that point. But in many conversations with this this girl, uh, it eventually came up, you know, that I would make a really good dom. And so, you know, she said to me, you know, I, let me get you out of this place. You need another job. You need to do something you're going to love. I would love to mentor you if you're interested. Um, and in the meantime, if you want, I can hook you up with some webcam work. So she helped me to set up my profile back when you had to take like a printer and scanner to, to put in your ID. And I didn't even have one of those back at home. So I went to her house and she printed and scanned my IDs and helped me set up my profile. And I started webcamming and making money um, instantly. And it was really fun. I actually really enjoyed the work. It was, it was safe. You know, it was a nice transition because you're in your room and you're alone. And it was whatever boundaries I had and I quickly realized I didn't have that many boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun
0: <laughs> I feel like that has to be working at the bank also
1: definitely and it paid more too and while I wasn't rolling in the dough it's really not as as uh, it's it's not as big of a salary as it is to for example escort but um, for me at that point it was quite decent and it allowed me to take my my living experience to another level and she trained me in and so I learned how to be a pro dom. I did training with her for weeks until at the end, we were doing duo sessions together to practice.
0: How did you like uh, doming?
1: I like it. I mean, I did fetish work for 10 years. Um, so obviously, I didn't dislike it. I feel at this point, like I've, um, how do you say in English? There's an expression in sense saying in French that where you say, "j'ai fait le tour. And when you say, j'ai fait le tour, it's like, I've done the tour. It's like, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've experienced it, and I feel okay. like I don't feel like there's a lot in there left for me to le- learn or grow from. And so it's gotten a little bit stale for that reason. Like I feel like uh, I'm someone who constantly needs to keep growing and and evolving and doing new things. So I've gotten a bit bored. With
0: That makes sense. It's like no matter what, like I feel like anything you do, it's like you want to try to keep growing in that. And then once you kind of reach the, I guess not like maximum growth, but not like tapped out, but once you've learned like not like everything you can learn, it's like I want to kind of like transition to something else or maybe I want to challenge myself by doing something new.
1: Exactly. But at the time it was fabulous. First of all, it really allowed me to come into myself in terms of being, what does being dominant mean and how... How does that impact me as someone who considers herself as somewhat of an alpha female? I have a very strong personality and using it in that setting really had, it really gave me an opportunity to channel that and also learn how to develop control. It's given me a really big sensibility on how does my strength as a woman impact the people around me and how can I dilute it? or amplify it based on a situation, which is really an interesting life lesson. And it's also given me a chance to learn a lot about energetics. I think a lot of of domination is energetics. So how certain forms of play, whether mental or physical, impact a person's mind, their body, their emotions, and how you can control that you end up learning how to play with people like if they were an instrument trying to create some beautiful music with it right trying to create a nice melody yeah that's kind of the best way I can explain it and so that was a very nice experience I did a lot of foot fetish also for a few years I did foot fetish full-time and there was no one else doing it and I realized there were a lot of guys into that so I kind of milked the market There was no sex involved. I I never got naked in any of my sessions. Um, It wasn't until many years later that I started offering some nudity for a bigger price. And when I did that, it was really because I had the fantasy of doing it. Um, I never felt sexually satisfied by any of what I was doing. And I really wanted to go further. And I was kind of being held back by by a mix of morals and also a mix of the opinions of the men in my life, in my personal life.
0: Okay. Do you feel like the people in your life viewed domi- doming any different from like full service sex work?
1: Yeah, of course. So when you tell someone you're doing fetish work, any kind of fetish work, and you're saying there's no nudity, no contact with my genitals, and no sex, all of a sudden, you know, they find it they can find it a little strange, especially if they're very normal people, right? But there's a different kind of like, okay, there's a respect there. Like, okay, that's a little weird. You're weird, but you're not a whore. Well. Does that make sense a... though? No, I mean, no, I'm... it
0: may it makes a hundred it makes a hundred percent sense. It's just so it's such a like not like vanilla but it's just like god
1: that's what i wanted to say but i don't know if the viewers know the term vanilla so vanilla means anything that's not kinky and not fetish so if you're in the fetish community you hear someone saying vanilla they're basically referring to the normal people so it's like in harry potter you have muggles so for the fetish people vanillas are like the muggles
0: (laughs) (laughs) i never thought about but you're uh, you're 100 right vanilla muggles
1: yeah So yeah, so it was kind of like my way of keeping that sort of respectability um, and especially keeping that sort of weird level of comfort that uh, my boyfriend had at that time. So he was comfortable with my work, helped me build my business and my brand, gave me a lot of advice, was very active. I had a boyfriend, not the first one that I had in the beginning, I discovered the scene with, but the second one I had after that, I was with for three years and he really helped me build my brand, um, and taught me how to run the business and help me build these concepts and stuff. But for him, his comfort zone ended at actual sex work. So that kind of was his boundary, you know, he didn't want me to have sex with the clients. And I, it took a long time for me to get him to say like, yes, okay, I don't mind if you get naked with them. But this is the boundary.
0: Was there any fear, like saying, like, I want to do I want to get naked, I want to do full service sex work? How was is- How was that decision for you?
1: Was there any fear on my part? No, I was always very curious about it, but he didn't want, and I was able to respect that because, you know, I loved him at that time and I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed that. I felt like with what I was doing, I was already making a lot of money. It was fun. We had built an entire lifestyle around my work because I set up a space in my house, our house to receive the client's. So, you know, it was kind of a cool adventure. So I made peace with that. I said I accepted his bo- – I decided to accept his boundaries. And, um, you know, I think part of me also appreciated having those boundaries because in a social context it was, it was easier for me to talk about it with my friends and, uh, you know, some of my family knew, not all my family. But, you know, I also had some – I also, I want to say, had some – hesitations but they weren't always present they were mostly um, they were mostly amplified by my social network i want to say
0: okay that makes sense yeah because people when people are around you are talking about negatively about this thing or not positively about something exactly. you might you might absorb that not even necessarily realizing that you're absorbing it and then just having this unconscious bias against this thing that you're not really involved in but it's just other people's fucking ideas in your head
1: exactly and and me wanting to uh, even though I did have quite a bit of an attitude of fuck you, I am who I am, there was still a part of me that wanted to keep up with appearances to a minimum amount, you know, like, uh, I feel like I, I had the respect of people around me and I wanted to keep it.
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody's, fuck- we're all bound by social constructs and shit. and It's like, I want to, I want to not like impress my friends, but at least I want them to like respect me and like, sort of feel like we're on this, like have a sort of similar worldview about some shit, you know?
1: Yeah. And I I was always curious also about doing pornography, which I haven't really done. But um, I I want to say that the relationships that I was in at that young age, you know, in my discussions with them and my also my shyness around, like, I wasn't at the point where I am now where I could just push doing whatever I want to do and be like, you know, fuck you if you don't like it. But, you know, now I'm I'm years old. Uh, I don't know if I should be saying this in the podcast, actually. <laughs> I don't
0: She's I'll blank. I'll age. blank it out if you want.
1: <laughs> I usually give my real age. I usually say I'm like 30, just because I don't want. So it's not actually about me caring about people knowing my real age so much as I don't want to give too much of my real information.
0: Oh, okay, that makes sense. But,
1: yeah, so I'm I'm kind of ambiguous about. But anyhow, um, yeah. So I'm. Let's say I'm in my early 30s, and um, I. It took me a long time to sort of really come to a point where. I really own myself, especially being so different from the rest of the world. It took time for me to really own myself, even though I am such a strong alpha kind of girl. But I I wasn't necessarily at a young age. I had to build up that alpha side to be able to accurately represent myself and be who I am and own myself. Um, You need to develop quite a a personal shield uh, to be able to withstand the waves. I want to say.
0: Yeah, I guess like a str- yeah strong foundation. Yeah, a strong foundation basically.
1: Yeah, so I want to say that that kind of forced me to become very alpha, because being a- being alpha and taking my space allows me to take a space that is that is different uh, without without being unhappy about it or without being kind of affected by by other people's negative opinions, and also allowing me to surround myself with the right type of people.
0: Do you feel like you, like, in general, just, like, based on your life, have taken on this kind of alpha role? Or do you feel like it was, like, uh, influenced by doming? Or do you feel like if you hadn't domed, you'd still be an alpha female?
1: I already was. I already was. I just wasn't dominant. So there's a difference okay. between being an alpha female and being dominant in the sexual context. So, okay. uh, you know, I've, I've always been someone who could lead or at least either be a solo or be a leader. I, I make a good boss I wouldn't make a good employee. That's not, I, I don't I don't do well living by other people's ideologies or rules. So owning myself and doing things my own way is the only way for me to be happy and be able to express myself fully. Fuck yeah. So I've always been like that. I, long before I was a dom, actually, just what doming taught me, honest to God, is how to be in service. Because in a doming scenario, especially a professional dom, you are actually the ones in service to the south. It's their fantasy, their desires, their boundaries. When they come to you, you know, they'll tell you what are their fetishes. What they don't want to experience, and so you're basically creating their fantasy for them. It's a service. You're the one who's in service to the sub, but you're doing it from a dominant perspective where you're making them feel this rush of the loss of control. You're like a, you know, the person who's guiding the musicians at the concert hall at, in French. You say chef d'orchestre.
0: Oh, like a conductor.
1: Yeah, you're like a conductor, like a sexual conductor for other people's fantasies.
0: Uh, yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense
1: yeah
0: how was you year? so do you still do you still dom or
1: not really uh, i kind of retired so what happened was when i first started doing escorting i want to say like maybe two two and a half years ago so what happened was um after years of doing the fetish work i started getting a little bit bored with it wanting to get new have new challenges at first what happened was about four or five years ago i started discovering tantra um had one of my friends in Montreal start getting into it and offering workshops and all this stuff. And so uh, I went. I, I did a couple of workshops around the world. I started dabbling in it. At first, I thought I was going to offer uh, tantric services. And um, it's been a challenge for me to, to get into the tantric work because it, it's very elusive. Um, it's hard to define. It's hard to uh, box in. Every tantric provider has her own style and does her own thing. And it's so varied that it's a lot harder to learn than, for example, domination.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, what is like, I feel like my first, like, just like, not like first intro, like first, I feel like the first time I ever heard of tantra was American Pie 2 when this dude is trying to sleep with Stifler's mom and he keeps doing these, like, basically, like, tantric exercises so that by the end of the movie, he can sleep with Stifler's mom. But that's, like, the first time I ever heard of it, right? Until, like, actually, like, start seeing sex workers and kind of, like, I had, like, a tantra session. But, like, what what is tantra to you? Like, if somebody were to ask you, what is tantra, what is that?
1: Like, if you were to go in the dictionary and look for the word tantra, there would be quite... I don't even know what they was like. It's an ancient practice, right? It's been around for a long time. It's, it's actually a branch of yoga. So that's, what's interesting. You have tantric yoga and it's, you know, it's breath sound and movement. It's breath work. It's energy work. It's, it's, it's uh, being conscious of your body. The tantric philosophy uh, presents how being fully embodied and through breath work, physical work, you can reach spirituality. So, it's one view of spirituality where the spirit and the body are interconnected, whereas most forms of religion and spirituality teach you to ascend out of the body and beyond the body. Tantra teaches you to go within the body to find divinity. Okay. So there's a form of of yoga, which is called tantric yoga. So the tantric yoga is a lot of practice. It's a lot of breath work. It's forms of yoga that are... Are very uh, actually they're quite quite physically exhausting. It's one say, the harder yoga classes that I've done have been tantric yoga. You, you're doing a lot of building up energy from um, from your groin up your body and into your your heart and your your head, building heat, doing breath work, um, oxygenating, and 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 it's 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 very powerful. You know you have ancient tantra, which is kind of a spiritual. It's very, very, uh, not religious, but it's definitely a, philo- a spiritual philosophy. Uh, and then you have modern day Tantra, which is almost exclusively in North America based around sexual practices, which is not actually re- accurately representative of the whole of Tantra, where Tantra is actually, it's actually a spirituality and a spiritual philosophy around that comes from that comes from the East, you know, and it's 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 a form of yoga and it's from you know you know India and, and, and Asia where going within the body allows you to be connected with God through fully embodying your physical self during your your time on earth. So, you know, in North America, Tantra is really focusing on the physical practices. So physical practices can include all kinds of different things, you know, everything from learning to be, you know, multi-orgasmic, um, sacred spot massage, uh, massaging the sacred spot in the body. So for the, for men, it's the it's the uh, prostate. For women, it's it's in the vagina, up uh, behind the front wall, you know, and 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 all kinds of practices where you're doing kind of energy work or meditative connection with another person, where you're practicing sexuality but not in a goal-oriented way. So it could be, uh, you know, sitting together and breathing energy uh, in a circle together and feeling it going from one body to the other and building up the energy. That could be a practice. could also be, you know, the more known one, which is tantric massage, you know, massaging the whole body, touching on all the meridian points, and then, you know, massaging the the internal body as well for women or men would be the, the sacred spot at the end. I want to say that physical tantric practices do not focus on orgasm. The goal of the practice is the journey. So it takes away this sexual attitude where, you know, you fought to come and it's a lot more meditative. So it's about coming back into your body, feeling your whole body, feeling your energy, feeling your partner, feeling the divine within you and feeling the pleasure that can come from that. But experiencing pleasure for the sake of pleasure, not for the sake of orgasm.
0: I feel like that's, I feel like everybody should be doing that. It's just like, let's, pleasure for pleasure instead of like, let's get to the end, you know?
1: Absolutely, and this also teaches people to be a lot more multi-orgasmic, you know? I actually learned how to have a female ejaculation from a very incredible tantric master who goes around giving workshops and teaching women how to how to ejaculate i was so blocked when i was younger i could never ejaculate and i was under the impression that not every woman could because there's so little it's so it's such a mystery in our society female ejaculation is not very spoken about and a lot of people have uh, no idea what it is or have a lot of misconceptions around it and one of the misconceptions is that only some women can do it, but it's actually a physical capacity that all women are born with and is part of our biology. Um, okay. There isn't some women that are born with glands that other women don't have. It's not like a Russian roulette, like, do you get the squirt glands? You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all got the same thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? So, um, and, and it's, you know, because we're, we're still in a patriarchy, women's sexuality is not often spoke of. And it's not accurately represented, even if, even from a biological standpoint. And it's not something that you know we learn in, in in sex ed when we're in high school. They don't they don't explain how the body works or what are all the parts and how how they can be used in different ways uh, because pleasure is not something that is to be spoken of. What do you learn? You learn about STDs, about how to not get your girlfriend pregnant, about you know. How to do things, you know, the basic reproductive purposes of your organs, and just it. the
0: stand, the standard sex, like standard penis and vagina. That's all you need to know. That's it. Well, like
1: it's, it's no, it's it's more than that. It's really the reproductive and the health aspects. So how, yeah. do, how do you not get sick, and how do you have control over your pregnancies? Okay, which I'm you know I'm all for people learning but then actually learning about what the body is and what it can do and what's going on there and what is sexuality that doesn't get taught and it's very it's very um,
0: it's repressed kind of <laughs> it's
1: kind of a mystery for most people
0: I feel like being in the in the south like in the in the south of the US it's like people are so like Like you can't talk about sex. Like I feel like like when I think about when I think about like the sex ed that I had just even in school, it's just like so basic and you're not learning anything. I feel like a lot of people now they're like taking example, just like looking at porn. And that's like people are like learning from porn, even though that's not real at all
1: because people
0: don't talk because people don't talk about shit.
1: Yeah, it's really a dangerous thing. And you get a lot of cases of people having very negative first experiences or even ending up in the hospital for trying to attempt practices that are shown in a very, very misleading way in pornography.
0: Yeah. Because people are, the, the people filming the porn, they're professionals. They know what the fuck they're doing. They got, and they have they got shit you don't got at your house.
1: Yeah. And they have hours of preparation, right? They show up ready for those scenes. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's very, very false. And I have nothing against porn. I mean, I've watched porn. I have uh, friends that are in the porn industry. I have friends that are porn producers. I think porn has a place in the world, and it's a great tool. But um, I think that the lack of sexual education is very, very, very toxic uh, in a world where pornography exists. So it's not all it was already toxic without pornography. But the fact that there is pornography makes it even more toxic, in my opinion. Um, Not that pornography is toxic. Pornography is great and it has a place in the world. But the fact that pornography exists very much amplifies the need for education.
0: Definitely, because people are going to be trying shit they've seen on fucking Pornhub or whatever website, not knowing that you can't do that shit, or hey, these people prepared for this, or they know what the fuck they're doing, you just saw a video and you're like, hey, let's try to do that with zero knowledge, that's how people fucking get hurt.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's happening more and more, especially in the southern U.S. where it's such a taboo subject. The more a place is taboo around sexuality, the more you have these horror stories happening because... We live in this dichotomy society where modern day, you know, gives you this incredibly open and easy access to sexuality, but there are still locations that despite having that very present in their society are still so conservative and so judgmental around it that they actually shut down any possibility of a healthy conversation around it.
0: Yeah. It's like, let's not like, instead of like a good education on sex, it's like, don't have sex and we're not going to talk about it. Exactly. And you're like, I don't know shit. Like that's how you fucking have babies. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I didn't realize until I was the, even me that I'm so open-minded as you can tell, obviously, right? Even me, I didn't even know until the age of 21 years old that I could actually squirt. And I had never squirted. And I thought that I was one of those girls that didn't have that physical ability.
0: See, you're probably, there's probably somebody listening to the podcast, they're older than 21. They never squirted. And they have the
1: impression that they can't. That's the fucked up part. That's even more fucked up is that you don't even know that you're physically capable of it. Yeah. So it was, and it's because I was in the fetish world and I had a really good friend who, uh, who is friends with this man, is a man named, uh, Steve Pickus. So Steve Pickus is a tantric provider. He offers session work with women um, and he works with women all over. So he travels around Canada, he goes to the United States and he's the funniest looking guy. You know, he's this tall guy with long hair and he looks like you would think he's like an, a Native American or like a rocker or something. He has long curly hair. Um, he wears like a leather jacket and jeans and he doesn't look particularly like rich or anything like that. He's just just a very average kind of guy. And the first time I saw him, you know, I was like, wow, okay, that's not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a he's such a down to earth and straight like honest guy, and he's great. And he's um, a master of tantra, and he does he does tantric work and offers sessions uh, all around. He gives workshops and stuff. And his specialty is making women squirt. So it doesn't matter how old you are, if you've never squirted in your entire life, he guarantees that by the end of the session with him, you're gonna be waterfalls. And now
0: this guy yeah
1: hey. and, and, and it works and so he was coming to Montreal and he uh, wanted to train some guys uh, on how to do this technique so some some of the guys in my friends and in my community wanted to learn how to offer these services professionally and so he needed a couple of girls to be models for the training session for these guys so me and another girl volunteered and uh, we we received this session. <laughs> and it's like a full body massage, uh, an external massage to begin with and an internal massage to end with. And by the end of this thing, we were both squirting waterfalls. That's amazing. Yeah. It was a very powerful experience. It's very, very, very powerful. I personally had some health issues, like I told you a while back, and um, you know I had a lot of inflammation in my body. So I was actually, the external massage for me was quite a painful experience for my my friend she had a blast. She loved it. It was amazing. It's like four or five men having their hands all over her, just massaging her whole body um, because they were all training. So normally when he does this, you know, he'll do the massage or he'll have like one assistant. So I don't want to scare people that are listening to this. Like you don't have to have five guys massaging you if that makes you uncomfortable. But uh, we did. And, uh, you know, she was having the time of her life and I was like crying because I had so much inflammation in my body. I was like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> and I, I, I got through it because I figured, you know what, if this is if they, it just it was it just so happened that every single spot they were putting their hands on that he was showing them where to touch me I had tension and it built up like negative, you know, whatever. So it was like a purging for me. I decided to get through it. I figured if every single spot he's massaging has tension, this is probably the healthiest thing I could be doing for myself right now. You know, let's get rid of all those blockages. So I got through it. And by the end of it, it was, you know, I, I did the, the the second part, the internal part with my boyfriend at the time and, and Steve, and I was squirting a lot, you know, like I, it, was, it was very liberating. It didn't feel particularly pleasurable the first time for me. It actually took a while. It felt like I was kind of re-educating my body. Um, my boyfriend kept doing this technique to me afterwards, so Steve told him like, you got to keep doing this to her, do the external and internal massage, you know, every day for a while until she gets fluid and so we did we practiced a bunch and I I got it got easier and easier and um, eventually I just became a natural squirter now it's very natural very easy for me and it's a lot more pleasurable you know those those first experiences weren't for me but but for my friend who was there she had a great time and she loved it and it was very pleasurable for her so I would assume that I had blockages that not everybody does have and on a physical level not an emotional level but i think it's healthy i it was healthy for me to to get that to get over that and 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 you know a lot of women what happens to them is they will have their their sponge fill up with liquid they want to squirt they don't know that they can they don't know how and what happens is their urethra opens a little bit because the liquid wants to come out and bacteria will get into your urethra and so oh, okay. when they don't squirt, sometimes that fluid will go back up into the uterus and women will have bladder infections.
0: So it's like it's like imperative almost. It's almost it like you should be everybody should be squirting.
1: It can be it can be physically negative. It can be bad for your health. If you are regularly stimulating that part of your vagina and it fills with fluid and you're not you're not letting it out, it's it's like the female version of having blue balls. Okay. Except you can actually get an infection from it.
0: Do you feel like your orgasm is any better knowing how to squirt versus not before? It's
1: not at all the same thing. It doesn't
0: have anything to do with
1: No, it's like, I don't know if you've ever had a prostate orgasm. Haven't?
0: okay no, no i haven't, haven't. now
1: so men also have multiple forms of orgasm and actually a lot is not known about men's sexuality it's not just a it's not just a, uh, a sexist thing a lot of people think it's a sexist thing nothing is known about females sex organs but that's not true there's a lot that's not known about male sex organs too so in the male body so males can have orgasms and they can have ejaculations and they can also ejaculate with an orgasm so they're two, separate, okay. They're two, yeah.
0: Two separate things. They're
1: two separate things. Um, and you can have a, and, and so your orgasm is actually coming from your, your prostate, if I'm correct. So I, I hope nobody comes on this and contacts you says like, that's not accurate. So I'm just saying this from memory. I may be, um, not a hundred percent accurate, but from what I understand, you know, you have your, your, your orgasm, you can get stimulated from your prostate. Um, and you can have uh, an orgasm in your penis without ejaculating. Um, if so so for men who do ejaculation control, which is something that is taught in the modern uh, sexual tantric practices. So most men who are tantric men and practice uh, sexual tantric practices will uh, learn how to control their ejaculation. So they learn how to have lots of sexual experiences without ejaculating. And one of the things that can come out of that is that you learn how to, Peak experience your orgasm in your penis and not ejaculate, and you can also have sacred spot. Sacred spot is the prostate, so you can have prostate orgasms. So you have prostate orgasms. You can have a penis orgasm without an ejaculation, and you can have um, an ejaculato- an ejaculation, and you can have an ejaculatory orgasm. So sometimes you ejaculate and you don't actually orgasm. It's just the liquid is coming out, but the peak of pleasure doesn't occur. So that's you know, and and, uh, actually dominatrixes will offer uh, what's called ruined orgasm, where they kind of do that. And sometimes they'll milk you and you'll just be like losing cum, but you're not peaking in in the pleasure sense, which is kind of a way of, you know, degrading that. So, okay. So the, the, the male genitals are very uh, versatile as well. And so there's a lot we don't know about and about female genitals and male genitals. And one of the things that I've realized over the years is everything that we teach about sexuality is based on either health or, or, or reproduction, but everything that really is about pleasure tends to be kept in the dark uh, for both genders and even for the third gender, which is, you know, people who are like, like in the Native Americans, they call them three spirits, which we don't actually have that in, in our culture. So there's, there's a lot going down that There's so much going on down there that we're not even talking about. But um, I don't even remember how I started talking about this. Oh, yeah. I, I,
0: I feel like I was like, what's Tatra?
1: <laughs> it's such a varied thing. So in the uh, Indian culture, you have yoga, and yoga is a philosophy so it's not just a physical practice, just like tantra is a philosophy, and it's not just a physical practice. But in North America, we focus on the physical practice aspect of it almost entirely, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, like the, I, I ha, I've, I've, I guess I've had yeah, like one tantra session, and there was like a lot of like breathing, a lot of like almost like making like guttural noises, like a lot of like eye contact.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because yeah. through breath, sound and movement, you're activating your energy and all and moving energy and, and powering up kind of like a battery. You can reach the most ecstatic states physically um, through these practices. So that's that's really, really, really powerful.
0: I feel like I feel like I need to do it again, though, because like I'm one of those people like sometimes I like, get in my head and then I'll be like, necessarily as present as i should be and then thinking about other shit and then i'm like oh fuck this, this is what am i doing and then they can tell they can tell
1: because in north america we are so disconnected from our bodies the physical aspects and physical practices of these philosophies are the most popular aspect because it, it really gives people uh, a concrete um, practical doorway to accessing embodiment and so it's okay it's actually actively allowing us to get out of our fucking heads forget about social media disconnect from our phones that are such a big party it's such a big part of us already and fully embody our being but ultimately tantra is a form of yoga it's tantric yoga and you can, you can do tantric yoga where you're doing breath work during your yogic practices. Or you can go into sexual tantra where you're, you're really working with uh, the genitals and either with yourself or with a partner, bringing your sexual expression and experience to the next level and experiencing the divine through sexuality. Um, doing things like, for example, yab-yam. Yab-yam is where you both. Sit in an Indian position, but the woman is on the man with her genitals on his. And you're both wearing clothes and you're doing breath work together where you're circulating the energy from the woman's heart into the man's heart, down to his genitals, out of his genitals and into the woman's genitals, and then into her heart and out of her heart and into his heart. And it kind of goes in a circle. And you're doing this with breath work and eye contact. Eye gazing is a big practice, sacred spot massage is a practice. And there are so many others. And one of the bigger aspects of it that I really appreciate is learning how to express your desires, uh, how to express your boundaries, how to name your blockages or your fears or whatever's holding you back, and how to share intimately and openly with a partner in a safe space to be able to explore. And that actually touches BDSM in an interesting way. So I actually organized a A workshop in Montreal called Tantra Meets BDSM with some teachers that have been doing this together uh, around the world that I've worked with before called Laurie Handlers and Om Rupani. Om Rupani is a a teacher who practices BDSM and gives workshops around the world and who has experience with Tantra. And Laurie Handlers is a Tantra teacher and they do Tantra Meets BDSM and they came to Montreal to give this workshop. Because in BDSM consent and discussion and communication is huge and you're also working with energies. Yeah. So they actually create a really nice synergy together. And the more conscious you are when you're practicing BDSM, the more tantric you are in your expression of BDSM, the more powerful and sacred and beautiful the, the experience of BDSM can be.
0: Do you feel like doing Tantra has allowed you to like, I guess like know yourself better? Um, or like understand your body more, maybe?
1: Um, I want to say that the work I did with Steve Pickus was very powerful. And then uh, Evolving in Tantra has allowed me to look at sexuality from a healthier perspective. So I want to say that okay. it's, it's impacted my philosophy the most. I always had okay. a good perspective of sexuality, but this has created an internal harmony.
0: Oh, nice. Fuck yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because society really teaches shame. So uh, even though I didn't necessarily accumulate shame, learning a philosophy or an, or an approach that was able to prove to me to what extent I want to say that I was right all along about embodying myself. And respecting and honoring myself, and and expressing the fact that I was very sexual could be something extremely divine and spiritual and beautiful and sacred. Really, um, took me w- uh, a step further on my my healing process or my healing journey.
0: That's awesome. That's great.
1: Yeah. So I dabbled in Do- in tantra long before getting into escorting. It started four or five years ago. Doing workshops. I, th- I want to say five years ago was the first workshop I did touching on that stuff and that began my journey shifting away from fetish work into something different
0: so you start in doming and then you kind of start learning tantra you move into companionship uh how was that transition how do you like companionship
1: so um actually what happened was i was getting involved in the tantra community in montreal and uh I eventually very briefly dated someone in the community who wanted to become a sex worker, a man who wanted to do sex work. And he wanted to do tantric session work with women to do like healing women and empowering them and and helping them to overcome wounds and uh, using the tantric practices to connect with them as a male sex worker. So when we were seeing each other, you know, it kind of came on the table that I've always wanted to escort. And was the first time in my life that I was in a relationship with a man whose reaction was, well, fuck yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah. And you should totally do that. <laughs> you would be great at it, and you would make a lot of money, and I think you should try it. And that was fuck yeah. so fucking liberating. I can't even explain to you how healing it was for, for me to hear a man that I was actually dating say something like that. It's funny because him and I had a falling out and he's really not actively in my life anymore. But just in that, that piece or that role he played at that point in my life was so pivotal and important and impactful for me. And I actually realized at that point to what extent it was the previous relationships I had with men that had held me back. Which is funny because the boyfriend I had in between this guy and the other guy who helped me build my my fetish business was totally okay with escorts. But at that point I was so stuck in this idea of what I'm doing is okay because there's no sex that I didn't even consider the option. But then when yeah. I was dating this guy who was like, how am I gonna build my brand? I wanna be a male sex worker. I remembered how badly I'd like always wanted to try it. <laughs> so just having him react in such a positive way was like, oh my God, this is possible. Like I can actually, I realized at that moment that one of my fears was that I wouldn't be eligible to be in a relationship with a quality man if I was a sex worker, like an escort.
0: Which is, which is like not true at all.
1: It's not true at all. And I realized that actually, but it is, it can be more of a challenge. There are a lot of, quality men who have these misconceptions or blockages around sex work.
0: I mean, there's, I mean, men and men and women both. It's, 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 yeah, it's wild.
1: Yeah. But I care less about women's opinions than I do about a potential mate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is is true.
1: (laughs) Yeah, So the fact that he kind of gave me permission and I know I didn't need permission, but it was like if I was given permission. Which is funny because we didn't actually date for that long. And in reality, his opinion doesn't matter at all in my life at this point. But but it was like a met- metaphorical permission. It was like was like life was saying to me through this man, like, you're ready. You would be good at this. You should try it. And, you know, just go for it.
0: It is, it is funny to where, like, you'll think sometime you'll be like, you'll think like, oh, man, I think I can do something. But you don't do it. And then somebody will kind of not necessarily put the idea in your head, but you kind of mention it again. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. And you're like, wait a second. That is a great idea. What the fuck? Why am I not doing this thing? And just like they like it, you have that idea the whole time, but maybe just somebody else kind of like agreeing with you or saying like, hey, I think that's a good idea. Just gives you that jolt to like, hey, let's do this thing.
1: But also having it be a boyfriend saying like I would totally date you even even if you were an escort. Yeah. That was a big piece actually. And I I had never thought about it before like that. I realized how big of a piece it was when it happened. I was like, "Oh fuck, actually this is really impactful for me knowing that I can still be loved." Yeah. It's interesting also because, you know, um one of the people that I work with in my personal life um works with a lot of sex workers. And when I got into my relationship that I'm into now and I published it, you know, online and everything, this person asked me like, what was my job now? And if I was, if I was still escorting or if I stopped and what I realized, you know, it's kind of a a normal thing to ask, I guess, because a lot of sex workers, when they get into relationships, they change jobs. So there's a lot of guys out there that are not okay with dating a sex worker.
0: Yep. Those, the losers. Hey,
1: (laughs) no, no, I I don't agree with that. I mean, it's a, Everybody has their own boundaries. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're very monogamous. Like if you're monogamous, you might not be okay, right, with this. Because it's, kind of, yeah. it's kind of a breach of monogamy. But I guess it depends on how you look at it. For some people, I know a guy who, for him, you know, you can be monogamous and date a sex worker because it doesn't count because it's her job. And that's one way to look at it. Um
0: yeah, I mean I'm in a, I'm in a relationship right now. My girlfriend does sex work and I don't I mean it's not even a thing. Like it's like it's it's a job. Like it's it it has no like it has no uh, effect on like our relationship at all. It's not even a thing.
1: And that's interesting because from my perspective is the complete opposite. I've been an, I've been an ethical non-monogamist for almost my entire life and I've had um, open relationships and I've been into polyamory for quite a while now. You know, mentioned before that I was a sex educator. One of the subjects I teach on is ethical non-monogamy. So um, I'm really interested in in ethical non-monogamy as a whole. I think it's a great way of relating with people um, and that there are many different degrees on how that can be manifested in a relationship. But even in my ethically non-monogamous relationships, sex work didn't count. Because it was okay with them if I chose to be with someone else, but if I'm not choosing it, I'm being paid for it, and it's not somebody that I'm attracted to, turned on by, or actually want to fuck, then that's not comfortable. Yeah. So having a boyfriend who allows me to sleep with other guys that I actually have feelings for and who respect me is one thing, but where he might have a boundary would be, well, I don't want you to fuck for money because it's a different thing. It's not as. Um, it's not as honorable or it's not not coming from a place of true desire and love and respect. So that doesn't make me comfortable.
0: That's interesting. I never really thought about the fact that like somebody would be OK with you, like sleeping with somebody else, like for your pleasure. But drawing a line of you sleeping with somebody else for money.
1: Exactly. Which was my experience, which is interesting. Um, and I've also, I've also met relationships that were like yours. So I, which made me realize there's a lot of different ways of looking at it.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. I I never thought about it like that. That's funny. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
1: And it's funny because when I was with this guy who gave me permission, okay, so backtracking. I was with this guy, gave me permission, not that I needed permission, but it really allowed me to step out of this blockage of fear-based, you know, reticence. Is that a way you can say it? Like, reticence? Like, I was hesitating based out of fear. And I said, okay, I'm ready. I want to try it. He actually sat down and helped me build my own website with WordPress, which was really nice. um, And showed me how to kind of fix it up the way that I want. Um, And so I, we did that for like an entire weekend. And then I put up my first ad and I, I started getting to know what were the other girls doing to stay safe? You know, what were their screening processes and figuring out how I was going to do things my own way. And, and I started seeing clients. And the first few clients that I had, uh, I immediately realized that I enjoyed it more than the fetish work. So the first thing that struck me was how it was no longer a question of me being in service to their fantasy, whereas the misconception is that that's all it is, which is very, very interesting. So the misconception about being a dom is that they're at your service, but in reality, you're at their service. And then the misconception yeah. about being an escort is that you're at their service when in reality you're at each other's service.
2: Okay. Yeah. Think about that, that makes for sense. a second.
1: So, on an energetic basis, what's really going on is when you're a Dom, you are entirely structuring a session from beginning to end, creating a physical, emotional, and mental journey for the submissive or the slave. And you are yeah. outside of the journey as a conductor creating it for them. Now, you may or may not get physical pleasure, get actually turned on or enjoy the work. That is irrelevant. You are not receiving energy. You are giving energy. You're receiving some energy. Oh, I don't want to say it that way. You're receiving some energy, but you're mostly giving energy. So it's a lot more draining. Whereas yeah. when you are uh, having sharing intimacy, affection, Uh, and sexuality in a GFE session, the energy is going in both directions. They're giving you pleasure, you're giving them pleasure. They're giving you affection, you're giving them affection. When you're kissing someone, you're both receiving kissing. When you're touching someone, you're both receiving touch. So there is an exchange there where you can come out of a session feeling nourished rather than drained.
0: Do you feel versus like escorting versus doming which emotional labor do you think is higher
1: definitely doming definitely by a long shot i mean i guess it depends on the person but i've i've spoken to other doms about this and there is a general uh theme that keeps coming up so not all doms feel the same way i want to say if you are a naturally dominant sexually dominant girl which is very rare, but someone who actually fantasized about being sexually dominant with men long before ever becoming a dom for money, then most likely it will be a different experience for you. But the general consensus is that women that are doing it as a profession because they're good at it and it pays well, are more drained by it than they would be, um, I want to say, from a sexual encounter or a GFE encounter. Although a lot of the DOMs that I know uh, that are doing it for for money and that are also really good at it, but that are not that were not ne- necessarily sexually dominant as teenagers, for example, never became escorts. So <laughs> it would be hard to, <laughs> how to compare the two. But they but they did de- but they do say that they find it draining. And oftentimes when they retire from it and do other work, that's one of the things that comes up when they talk about it.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah how long do you see yourself uh, in sex work escorting or I guess every aspect of sex work how long do you see yourself in sex work
1: um I want to say my whole life in different ways and different in- intensity levels because I'm so in the beginning of the podcast you mentioned that I'm an entrepreneur so what does that mean so I do so many different things in in the sex industry so i I'm an educator I'm a performer I'm a model I've organized events I've participated in events. I have taken workshops. I've given workshops. I've mentored other workers. So, and I'm an active member of uh, the adult community. So I'm uh, actively a member of the swinger community in Montreal, although I do not consider myself a swinger. I'm, a, I'm an ethical non-monogamous, so I'm, I'm polyamorous, but I, I do not consider myself a swinger. But I teach, you know, about those subjects and what are the differences between those different titles and, and how does that work. And so I don't see myself ever living a life where I don't do any kind of work in the sex industry. Okay. What will that look like in 10 years? I have no idea.
0: <laughs> I was going to be like, where are you in five years? Where do you?
1: Um, I'm definitely... Probably going to still be a sex worker as an escort for at least a few more years, and probably another 10 years. I mean, right now, I'm kind of on pause because of COVID. So I, I still do some work, but I've been doing so much less because I've been trying to be careful with the virus. And that has slowed me down on my projects. But my my original plan, and it's still my plan, it's just kind of semi on pause right now. Was to be an escort full time, tour the world, make as much money as I can doing this job, have amazing clients, have cool experiences, do all this other stuff that I do, you know, part time on the side, and save as much money as I can, put all my money away, um, and make some good investments so that you know, in my 40s at some point, I can retire with. A good financial, solid financial life established for myself. And I've already started to do this. I've made some interesting, in some good investments. But um, in terms of investment, I'm much more interested in uh, the stock market and real estate and also in businesses. I've, I've had other business projects in the past and I, I'd be interested in having other business projects in the future. I, I love business. I love having my own business and I would love being an entrepreneur and I'd love to have other interesting businesses in the future. My biggest dream, goal, and desire is to be mobile and international, and I want to spend all of my time in a warm location, but not necessarily always the warm, the same warm location. So okay, yeah. So trying to build a life where I can be a little bit of a nomad. So I have a lot of um, ideas of how that will develop, but I'm I will in 10 years, either be a, or even in five years or even, you know, as the future is coming, I'm either uh, going to be a, a snowbird or uh, just a, a nomad and a traveler.
0: That'd be, that'd be awesome. Like, I feel like so many people say like, Hey, I want to like travel, but nobody gets to do it. But if you get the, like get the opportunity and be able to like live sustainably to where you're able to travel, like that's, 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 that's awesome.
1: Well, I already do. I I tour, you know, and I've been touring a little bit and I've been dabbling in it and learning how and learning where, how to be successful, what are the places to make money, uh, how to get clients in those locations. And I've just been starting to explore that, but I'm definitely going to be exploring it more and more in the future. And then, so that's a great, a great foot in the door and, you know, trying to save as much money as I can so that I can have good investments for the future. And then after that, you know, do I see myself only doing sex work full time for the rest of my life? I don't think so. I think at some point I will either have some real estate investments or another business that is bringing in money. And I'm always open to figuring out what that will be. I've had other projects that I've I've kind of dabbled in in the past, sort of looking for the right project. And some things didn't work out, and and I'm but I'm glad I experienced them. And I might be open to doing them again in the future or finding another project. So. It really depends on how my life unfolds. But I love business. And if I meet, for example, a partner or a friend or somebody that would like to have business with me or or start a project of some kind and we want to work on it together and it will allow us to be in a warm place, then I will not hesitate to do it. Hell yeah. (laughs) But my goal ultimately is to uh, build my finances to a point where by my mid to late 40s I can retire and just just live my life to the fullest in a happy way but I probably will always have some interesting projects independently of my age just I don't I like the idea of having projects because they motivate me rather than having projects to put food on the table
0: yeah definitely the two different things
1: exactly although when they can be married it's great which I try to go yeah. for as much as possible
0: Like, if you can make money and live doing something you're passionate about and, like, that's fulfilling, like, I feel like that's the ultimate goal.
1: I do already. And, you know, like, one of the things I've considered doing is coaching. One of the things I've noticed is that in my sex work, I tend to do a lot of coaching. Intimacy coaching, life coaching, and a form of therapy that I do with my clients, which is showing up for them, giving them love, giving them company. Which is interesting because I always used to think it was going to be just sex. But what I have realized in the in-person work of, of escorting, depending on how you're doing it now, if you're doing 15, 30 minute sessions, it's just sex. The guy comes in, gives you money, fucks and leaves. Now, that's one way of doing it. And I have nothing against that. You know, people who enjoy that or who make a lot of money, that's fine. I don't judge. But that's not what I do. I do longer sessions. And um, I really enjoy connecting on a social and on a, a heart level with my with my my lovers I right? i consider them to be a lover i'm sharing space intimate space opening my my mind my body my heart to them and welcoming them in whatever capacity that they show up so who they are their heart their soul and i try to look at them as somebody who is no different than a brother or a father or a cousin or a good friend, it's a real person who has the need for something, and that that need is sacred. And how can I show up in a sacred way to fulfill their need? So I show, I really show up fully embodied, and um, so I can touch them very profoundly, and 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 offer them that I something that I consider to be quite sacred work. There's a depth to it that is absolutely incredible that I never realized there was, until I started doing it.
0: I don't th- I don't think a lot of people do, I feel like a lot of people on the surface level, they're like, oh, it's a sex thing, that's the only thing, and it's like way more than that.
1: It's a connection thing, it's an affection thing, and it's a loving thing, and if you can show up from a place of love, it is very sacred, powerful, and necessary work. Definitely. So I do show up from a place of love, and, you know, it, it's not uncommon for me to be in a session with a uh, person that I've just met and we're exchanging whatever intimacy. And in my head, I'm thinking, I love you. And that thought will cross through my head. And then I kind of think to myself, I'm nuts. I don't even know this person. Why am I thinking this thought? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> and then I kind of realize, as I analyze it later on that actually what's going on is this is how I'm showing up. I'm actually opening my heart. And so love is manifesting and it's coming into the point of being in, even in words in my head. And so obviously I don't say this to the person because if I were to say this, they'd freak out.
0: <laughs> or, they, or they'll or they be like, I love you too. And then we got a problem. I, I don't
1: know how they would react. I've not even tried it because I kind of don't dare because I'm kind of nervous of what they would think. But my but the fact of thinking it is enough for me because what it does is it transpires in how I touch them. so my goal is to infuse my presence with loving warmth and acceptance and um nurturing and healing energy and love and and even it can get really kinky or sexual or dirty and that can be super fun too but always trying to kind of show up from that space especially when i feel i can sense that someone needs it which isn't the case for everybody but some people show up and you just you feel that that's what they need and i I I really really enjoy offering them that,
0: and I feel like you can I feel like you can feel that from somebody that just like has that like loving touch or makes you feel good and safe and it's yeah it's a great more thing. than
1: that it's for me it's really when someone comes to me and I can tell that they're sad or I can tell that they're lonely or they're hurting I can tell that it's been a long time since they've been given any affection or looked at, really looked at, either they feel lonely or invisible or disconnected or drained or overworked or, you know, undersexed. A lot of people do not have enough sex and and, and sex, I think, is as vital for our well-being as food and sleep and, and, and water. Yeah. So it can be actually very toxic for them to be in that space. So when I feel like someone is showing up and they're, I can feel their pain or I can feel their, their, their suffering, which is coming from any one of those emotions that I mentioned. Um, or even fear or insecurity or feeling like they're not good enough or feeling ashamed in front of women because they don't know how to talk to women or they've been humiliated or they've been betrayed or they've been um, whatever negative experience that they've had. Or, you know, I've had a lot of clients that, you know, either they're, they had a, relationship where they're married for 30 years and there hasn't been sex for the last 10 or 15 years and they have children and a, and a life together and they don't want to leave her but they, they are lonely and they're hurting and they need touch whatever the story is but you can feel it when someone is with you you can feel these things especially me I've developed my sensitivity to feeling the men that I'm working with through the fetish work so much that um, yeah I can just tell and so I feel like I'm able to show up as almost a priestess. That's awesome. Yeah. Like my goal is to welcome their pain and transmute it in my heart through love. So I receive it, but I don't, I'm not like an empath that will feel pain when other people are feeling pain. I'll feel their pain in the sense of like, I'll recognize the pain. I'll feel it that I know that it's there. I can witness it, but I can take the position of the witness. So I feel it. I see it it is not mine. I do not own it. And then I can receive it and transform it into love through this, you know, I love you kind of uh, emotion that I feel with, you know, opening my heart and finding them beautiful and finding them divine and seeing them as one of, and I don't want to go all religious on you, but one of God's children. And I do believe in a divine being. So I don't like using the word God because it's often associated with religion. So, my god has absolutely nothing to do with religion it's really just divine source so from a divine source perspective you know you call it god goddess um whatever you want to call it um we are all children of god we are all made of god we're all divine beings and so i can see this person from that perspective and just love them and receive whatever it is that they're feeling that's negative And, you know, just just by holding them in my arms or kissing them or just talking with them and looking at them in the eyes and like really being present and open and authentic and, you know, sharing whatever is beautiful about me being myself, uh, because I'm I'm very much myself in my sessions, (laughs) for better or for worse, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and just kind of offering them love. And I I can feel it when it works, you know, I can tell how someone is different from when they've arrived when they leave, you know, how they feel relieved, they feel better, they have less pressure on their shoulders, they feel more connected, happier, they have all the oxytocin running through their their bodies, from all the hugging and the affection, I love giving affection, you know, and not every session will have a full intercourse. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's just, you know, whatever it is that they need in the moment, which is so interesting that I didn't expect that that would be the case when I first started doing the work.
0: How does it feel at the end of a session, like to where you can tell somebody when they came in, they were nervous, or so they had this heavy weight on their mind and seeing them leave being like that weight's been lifted, feeling like, oh, like happy. How, how does that feel on your part?
1: I mean, it feels amazing because the thing is, is that when, when I'm doing that for you, I'm also receiving it myself. So not only is the part of me that cares about the whole world and wants to heal the world and wants to help everybody and wants to make the world a better place, feeling elated and proud and feeling um, like a sacred contributor to um, to the positive flow or the good flow or the divine flow of, of good things in life i don't know how else to say it but there's that aspect but not only that but also as somebody who also dabbles and dabbles in tantra and all that you know i feel how energy flows and and when you uh take this negative energy and transmute it into positive energy or when you you take someone who's lonely and you make them feel uh loved you make them feel presence when you take someone who's whatever it is that the negative emotion is, and you're able to, to transmute that into pleasure, enjoyment, companionship, friendship, love, and, and, and happiness, um, that is contagious. Positive emotions are so contagious. So Definitely. I end up feeling that exact same way. They leave. And most of the time I've got a huge smile on my face. I'm like, I just had a fucking good time. I made a bunch of money. You know, I had this and this pleasure. I had this and this. You know, cool experience, and this person is is feeling wonderful because of me. Yeah, it's great. I love my job. I really do. I really do. It's the most beautiful, sacred work. I think it's the most important job in the world, and people don't realize it.
0: I agree. I agree. I feel like you're just helping. You're helping people, making people feel good. Fucking, it, it's it's a great thing. Absolutely, it's so awesome. You have the diverse background to where you can like offer somebody so many different things when they come to you.
1: I I know, and it's, it's one of the things that makes it fun because I can I can work with all kinds of different people too. Yeah, I love it. I honestly do.
0: Are you uh Are you a fan of stand-up comedy at all? It's a weird segue, I, <laughs> are you I a fan am. of standup? I,
1: I love to laugh, you know, and especially when I'm not feeling well for whatever reason. If I don't have any energy or if I'm feeling sick or whatever, I think comedy is such a healing, profoundly healing thing. And so I watched a lot of comedy, even just comedy like series on TV or on Netflix rather, and and stand-up comedy is amazing, but it depends on the comedian, really. There's a lot that I can't... There's there's a lot of stand-up comedy that I will watch and I don't laugh and I don't even find it a little bit funny and I don't understand why they're up there. But when there's a good stand-up comedian and I'm laughing the whole time, I like that's amazing.
0: That's one of the things about comedy that I love is it's so subjective to where, like, I can watch something and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so funny. You watch that exact same thing and you're like, that was terrible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, we agree it on Russell to... Peters. Yeah, Russell Peters so funny. He's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where can the people find you on the old social media? What, uh, you got you have Twitter?
1: Everything is on my link tree.
0: Everything's on your link tree. I
1: have a link to my Instagram, my Twitter, my website, my YouTube channel, which only has two videos right now, but soon is going to have your podcast and probably more in the future. Um, and um, I have links to my website and, um, you know, everything that I have. Basically, I think I have a few other links on there.
0: Okay, sweet. Heck yeah. What I'll do is I'll plug your Twitter, Instagram, everything in the intro and outro so that people can subscribe and then also hit that link tree. And uh, yeah.
1: It's very easy. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E slash Anna A-N-N-A-P-E-R-R-E-N-A.
0: And then, oh yeah, I'll have a link uh for everything in the show notes as well. So everybody can check that out too, so. <clears throat> heck yeah Anna I appreciate you coming on the podcast
1: I appreciate you having me it's very nice I I love the opportunity to do something like this
0: hell yeah this has been a lot of fun fuck yeah
1: hopefully we can meet again in the future and collaborate again I would be very happy to do more with you
0: definitely definitely fuck yeah <laughs> listeners we will be back later that was my interview with Anna Perena Shout out Anna, I appreciate you coming on the podcast That was a lot of fun Listeners, she just plugged it, I will plug it again You can find her link tree Link tr. slash Anna Perena You can find her on Twitter at Anna underscore Perena On Instagram at Anna dot I will have links to her social media Her link tree in the show notes Hit those show notes, show her some love As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Full Service Pod. I am at Tank Funkadelic. This has been episode 77. I appreciate you being here. We will be back on Tuesday. Oh boy. My guest is Atlanta based companion, Cherith Carter, that uh, we sat down maybe a couple weeks ago. So it'll be a lot of fun. Tune in next week. We will be back. I have a link again, again, in the old show notes, baby, to uh, that Answer Detroit GoFundMe. Yo, donate if you can. If you can't, hey, I totally understand. Hey, I feel like that's it for the outro today. Yo, I appreciate you being here. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit the old Patreon, patreon.com slash fullservicepod. We will be here every Tuesday till the end of time. I will see you later. Peace. service.